Welcome to episode 39 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. This one is the continuing history of Tilt Wheel, part seven in the Tilt Wheel saga. These Tilt Wheel episodes, they're maturing. They're getting up there in age, aren't they? Just like Tilt Wheel. Yeah, just like Tilt Wheel. Uh, Speaking of getting old, we, as in Tilt Wheel, are on the cusp of our 28th anniversary as a band. Fucking holy shit to that. Wow, March of 2020 will mark our 28th year as a band. Who'd have thought that it would go that long? That's fucking crazy, I think. It's absolutely crazy. I can't really say at any point in the history of Tilt Wheel, especially maybe back at the beginning, that I was looking at it going, oh yeah, this band's going to last five years, and then we won't do anything else. There was never a specific amount of time. But I do think if, if you had told me in March of 1992 when we started that I'd be in this band for the most part for 28 years, I would have thought you were fucking nuts, like really crazy. Hey, here we are today. The song playing at the beginning of this episode and playing now in the background is the song Hold My Hand to Make Them Go Away. What this episode's going to be all about, we're talking about the beginning of the Paul Trash 77 years. Yeah, that was uh, Paul's username on AOL Instant Messenger, and maybe the accident-prone message board. I'm not sure. And now the song at the beginning, Hold My Hand, Paul's not playing on that. We actually didn't record anything in the three years that Paul and I were in the band at the same time. We didn't record anything together. We did, but I don't think we ever did anything with it. So consequently, I don't have any songs that both Paul and I and Davey are all playing on at the same time. Jared is actually playing bass on Hold My Hand. The thing is, that song we played all the fucking time when Paul first started in the band, and we still play it to this day. Let's get back to Paul Trash 77. What the, and his username? What the fuck was that? The Accident Prone Message Board. Now, that was a place online where a bunch of us friends, all the ESCO people, went to talk to each other and talk about shows and just whatever. Remember those kind of pre-Facebook days? And these were even pre-MySpace days. These were pre-Friendster days. That's going way the fuck back. That was when you went on message boards online to get tough and talk shit to people you didn't know. What did people do before the internet? As far as that goes, as far as like talking shit to people that they didn't know or, you know, I'm fucking tougher than you. What would that send like anonymous letters to other people that they didn't like or didn't even know and just were like, I have a need to talk shit to somebody I don't know. Did they do that? Phone calls? Ooh, you know what? Actually, what we did, we had crank calling. So yeah, never mind. I answered my own question. Crank calling was how you talked shit to someone you didn't know. That filled that kind of primal need to talk shit to somebody for absolutely no reason, which is what the internet is pretty much used for today. The internet, you know, where all of humanity's history all of humanity's recorded history is stored is used to talk shit to strangers more or less i i think yeah uh crank calling so that's what we did oh jesus paul became tilt wheels bass player at the end of a pretty fucking horrible year 2002 and i do say this i want to say something seriously i think paul saved tilt wheel in a lot of ways paul anderson is his real name not paul trash 77 
Oh, I like referring to that name. Uh, or Paul Trash, 1977. That gives it a little bit of extra kind of punk points, you know, somewhat. Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, that Paul kind of saved Tilt Wheel. After Jared passed, Davey and I were pretty much ready to call the band quits. Just fuck it. We're done. I am very, very happy that Paul stepped in and not just for saving the band, because like I said, I really think he did. I really, really treasured the time that I had with Paul and Tilt Wheel. Paul's a fucking rad dude. No, he really, really is. This episode is going to deal with Paul's first full year in Tilt Wheel, the year of 2003. And Paul did make that a pretty good year, I would say. Yes, sir. Thank you again, Paul. Now, before we get to Paul and Tilt Wheel and the year 2003, though, let's talk a little bit about beer. Yep, the beer I'm drinking this episode is the Retro Zombies of Plan 9 Ale House, a 7% alcohol by volume hazy IPA brewed with rolled oats, wheat, Centennial, Chinook, Columbus, Cascade, and Yukonot hops. There's a whole lot of hopping going on there. Let's give this beer a try and see see what it's all about. Oh, man. Woo. Yeah, it's good. You know, very, very mild bitterness. Very mild for a hazy IPA. It's a beautiful looking beer as well. Hmm. Yeah, this beer. This is what I think about this beer. Applause. How about a round of applause for the Retro Zombies beer of Plan 9 Ale House located in Escondido, California. Speaking of good things, there's a podcast I want to tell you guys about that I listen to. And this podcast is called Not Nostalgia. This is a fucking rad podcast. This podcast is done by my friend Jessica of Danger Inc. And also Eric of the band Sad Girls Club. Two of my most favoritist bands going right now. Check out this podcast. It's awesome. Here's a little more info from Jessica and Eric themselves about their podcast, Stand By. Don't you hate it when you're watching one of your favorite movies and think, wow, this movie just really supports the patriarchy. Or when you're watching the reboot of your childhood fame and think, man, did we really need this? Honestly, same. That's why we started the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. That's Jessica Tercero. And that's Eric Lefebvre. Come listen to us analyze things like... The roles of women. The treatment of minorities and people of color. And Tom Cruise's Peter Pan Syndrome. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can just Google us. You know, we're on social media and all that. You know, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. Come follow Follow us. It's fun. So, Nostalgia. That's our podcast name. It's Nostalgia. Like, it's Nostalgia, not. but it's not. N-O-T-N-O-T-S-T-A-L-D-I-A. Yeah. Nostalgia! <laughs> okay, bye! <laughs> Thanks, Jessica and Eric of Nostalgia for that. Check out Nostalgia. Seriously, it's a great podcast. I just listened to their Mary Poppins episode. Let me tell you, you will not see that very first Mary Poppins movie through the same eyes after you listen to that nostalgia episode. I'm not kidding. That's kind of a good thing too. Check them out. Subscribe, rate, and review the Nostalgia podcast wherever you like to listen to podcast stuff. This is Bob, and I approve this message. Speaking of messages, one more thing before we get to the year 2003 and all things Paul and Tilt Wheel. Buttons. Uh, all you punks like buttons, myself included, myself included, 
where do you go for the finest buttons in all of punctum and beyond? Uh, why don't you stay tuned and find out? Does your wardrobe lack that certain pizzazz that would really put a smile on your face? What can you do to spice up your bland and boring black t-shirt collection, you ask? Well, how about some buttons from the finest button makers in the world, Mouse and Monkey Button Company? You can go from humdrum to how do you do in no time with a button made by Mouse and Monkey. The process is simple. Go to www.mmbutton.com. Co.com. That's www.mmbuttonco.com. Fill out the contact form, and the button of your DIY punk dreams will start on the path to becoming a reality. You can also email Mouse and Monkey at mmbuttonco at gmail.com or even text your order information to 909. 909- 991-6666. The fine people of Mouse and Monkey will walk you through the process from there. Buttons are not the only services or products available at Mouse and Monkey, though. You can also get custom bottle opener keychains and pocket mirrors made with the design of your choice. Don't hesitate. Contact Mouse and Monkey today and get that project started. Thank you to Mouse and Monkey for making the finest of buttons, keychains, bottle openers, and pocket mirrors around. P.S. Mouse and Monkey is Misky from City Mouse. By the way, send her an order and help keep her touring and making music. She absolutely deserves it. Okay, we are Paul Word Bound. Paul had his first practice with Tilt Wheel in January of 2003. And right away, Paul sounded really good. He sounded great. Davey and I barely knew Paul, honestly. We we had hung out with him a few times, not too often. So he was kind of really, the, he very much was the new guy. But you know what? He was super easy to get along with. He smelled very good. He smelled nice. And that dude could play the bass. Paul could play bass very well, which I didn't even know that he could play bass, that he knew how to play a stringed instrument. I knew Paul as a drummer. That's all. Tilt Wheel had played a show with Paul's band, Slow Felt, sometime, I think, around 2000 or 2001. And he, dude, he was a fucking great drummer. Really, really great drummer. I thought when he started playing bass in Tilt Wheel that he barely knew how to play, that he had just started doing it. Like, And he was like, I'll play bass for you guys, and, you know, just kind of to, to save the band or help us out or however you want to say it. And he just picked it up and started playing. But no, I, I talked to Paul before this episode, and he had been playing bass, guitar, and drums since he was like 11 or 12. I had no idea until, like I said, I started talking to Paul before I started recording this a couple days ago. So we practiced. Paul sounded really good. I remember after that first practice with Paul, I was really, really fucking sore. I had not played drums for about a whole year, an entire year. Pretty much all of 2002, that was a shitty, shitty year for me personally. It really was. We're going on a little side trip here. By the way, Davey moved away in early 2002. He didn't get back until early December of 2002, literally the day before Jared passed away. But all of 2002, I didn't do shit. I drank. I played video games. I worked at a fucking shit horrible job. And I golfed. Oh, you know, 
these Tilt Wheel episodes are very much personal kind of exposés on on me or whatever. And it's a very personal thing for me. It's me kind of telling my history as well as the history of Tilt Wheel for posterity's sake or whatever. I don't know. I do want to admit, though, I was golfing a lot in the year 2002. God, I look back on that time and go, what the fuck was wrong with me? Why, why did I golf? Why did I ever golf? When I was also drinking and being depressed a lot, too, in the year 2002, which uh, I think that's kind of why I picked up golfing, to get outside, get some sun, get a little bit of exercise. You know, exercise, golfing is exercise. Yeah, just that's like fucking lifting a cheeseburger. Your goddamn mouth is exercise. Golfing is that much exercise. Oh, let's go sit in the cart, drink beer, and fucking swing a club. Yeah, fuck, that's so stupid. Jesus Christ. I don't know why I didn't go, like, surfing or skating in hindsight. Those were things that I really loved, but I don't know. I had really bad anxiety, too, so I think I was kind of scared to get back into that world, that kind of realm of things. And also, I don't think I was thinking very clearly in the year 2002. I was, yeah, my brain was not where it needed to be. 2002 was a bad year. It really was. So just to close that whole part out, 2002 was a fucking horrible year. It was really bad. One of my best friends and the bass player in my band died, Jared. You know, I was depressed. I was drinking way too much. And then along came Paul. And I got to say, when Paul stepped in to play bass for Tilt Wheel, that was a major shift in a really good direction for me personally. Paul made me, kind of forced me to be more socially active, which I really needed. He'd come pick me up at my shitty little one-bedroom apartment in Escondido. We'd go hang out with the Escondido crowd partying having fun doing all kinds of things went to a super bowl party where i shit my pants and paul covered for me as i walked to the bathroom <laughs> oh did i say th- oh jesus i didn't mean to say that one i kind of cut that one out but i decided last minute to add it in yeah yes i did i shit my pants at a super bowl party and paul covered for me that's just the kind of guy that paul is he would cover for a friend who shit his pants at a super bowl party that friend being me Yeah, and Paul, he, I would say, you know, I'm definitely singing the praises of Paul right now, but Paul really did. He helped me out of a very bad place. He may not even really know he did. I'm just going to say it right now. Thank you, Paul. Seriously, thank you for everything. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It was a very big deal to me, especially now in hindsight. It really is. Before I nosedive into more getting mushy, let's talk about one of the first things that we did with Paul as a member of Tilt Wheel. In the year 2003, the uh, fifth annual Punk Rock Bowling Tournament. This Punk Rock Bowling Tournament, oh God, I can't even talk about it without laughing. Like seriously, (laughs) oh boy. This Punk Rock Bowling Tournament took place at the Castaways Hotel, Casino, and Bowling Center, which was way the fuck off the strip. I mean, like at least maybe a 15 or 20 minute cab ride away from the strip in Vegas. Paul went with us for that punk rock bowling. In fact, a whole crew of people from Escondido and San Diego came out with us as Tilt Wheel. One reason being, I had this brilliant idea for punk rock bowling that year that Team Tilt Wheel should bowl for Jared. Oh, that year, yep. In hindsight, that was kind of dumb. I think my heart was in the right place, but it was a pretty silly thing. This is a deal... We were going to have all of our friends, and of course, Davey Paul and I as Team Tilt Wheel, take turns bowling each frame 
dedicated to kind of the memory of Jared. I don't know how I worked that out. I'm still not really sure about that. But yeah, I was I was drunk a lot back then. But I mean, one thing by doing this bowling for Jared thing is a bunch of our friends went out to Vegas with us and we all got drunk together and had a fucking great time for a few days in Vegas. So that it was really cool. It was great. This was definitely one of the most drunk punk rock bowling tournaments that I went to for sure. Here are some highlights. That first night we were there, Friday night, first night of punk rock bowling at Castaways, Paul, the newly minted member of Tilt Wheel, Paul met Matt Skiba and made him cry. He, Paul made Matt Skiba cry. You see, Paul kind of retold the story of Jared to Mr. Skiba, and that made the now Blink-182 singer and guitar player cry. That's also Matt Skiba of Alkaline Trio. That was there's actually a photo of that. I have to find this fucking photo. I don't know where. Uh, yes, yeah, somebody has it somewhere. I'll find it. Trust me, I'll find it. The, also at that punk rock bowling, I jumped on the back of Lane, the drummer for Dillinger Four. He was just standing there, kind of like watching the house band at Castaways play. You know, a cover of like Moni Moni or some shit. So I go, oh my god, that's Lane, the drummer for D Four. So I ran up and jumped on his fucking back. He didn't know me at all. He punched me really fucking hard, like really, really goddamn hard, not in the face. Like he punched me like in kind of the solar plexus. And I was like, whoa, dude, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I told him who I was and he, they, it was all was well after that. I kind of don't blame him. What idiot jumps on the back of somebody they don't know and is like trying to ride them like a, you know, a, a hobby horse. Um, apparently Bob of Tilt Wheel in the year 2003 would do something like that. A very drunk Bob of Tilt Wheel would do that in India. That was me. The boys from the band Kolob went with us, and that very first night at Punk Rock Bowling, going back to the first night again, got really fucking drunk and got very Kolobby. We're going to talk more about Kolob here closer to the end. I just wanted to throw them in, get you kind of warmed up for Kolob, because they're more of an experience than a band, actually. On the Saturday night, or the second night of the punk rock bowling tournament in 2003, I ended up in downtown Las Vegas, completely fucking shit faced after we bowled at castaways. I don't even remember how I got down there completely fucking just wasted trying to get a cab. Couldn't figure out how to get a cab. I was standing in the cab line going, Hey, can one of you guys give me a ride? And I don't know if I even said that or just thought it and couldn't figure out why they couldn't hear my thoughts. But a cab load of San Diego people drove by, said, hey, whoa, whoa, grab him, you know, stopped, helped me get in. In that cab was my friend Corey of the band Vina Cava at the time and a few other people that I didn't know, but my very good future friend Josh Mosh was in that cab. Now, this is my introduction to Josh Mosh. Josh was wearing pink Converse. So for some reason, those pink Converse completely pissed me off being like blacked out drunk as I was. So I started talking shit to him, calling him names. I didn't know him at all. The other people in the cab were like, dude, shut up, man. Shut up. Stop talking shit to this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I guess I did. I don't know. I got out at castaways and went to bed. And uh, now Josh Mosh and I are good friends. Yeah, that, oh, I'm still not proud of that moment. It was like a really fucking stupid moment for me, though. That was only on the second night. We still had another day, a full day and night of this shit to make it through. And good Lord, final day of bowling, the Sunday of the punk rock bowling tournament ended with a very, very drunk tilt wheel and friends 
And um, we came in last place, which we had done every year. We had been in the bowling tournament up to this time, which I think that punk rock bowling tournament, number five of the punk rock bowling tournaments, that was our fourth year coming in last place because in 2002, I believe we missed the tournament as Davey was in Texas doing his thing with Texas tail wheel. After the tournament, we went to the award ceremony at some bar, Manic Hispanic, the band played, and we got more and more shit face. Here's how, here's how that went. Oh, fuck. This is good. The award ceremony and the Manic Hispanic show, it was a venue. It was kind of like a Mexican cowboy bar. It was kind of gnarly. They had 25 cent Dos Equis all night. They were bringing cases of beer to our table with a fucking hand truck. And I got the story from Davey last night. What happened is we were all sitting there like pounding these 25 cent beers, a whole group of like 20 of us, right? Davey finally goes, he walked up to the bartender, gave him like 80 bucks and said, just fucking bring out as many beers as you can. And they rolled out with like six or seven cases of Dos Equis and just dropped them at the table. And we fucking went nuts. Oh my God. The beer was flowing like, I don't, whatever you want to say, a volcano of just stupidity, right? At that point, we went up on stage when they called us for last place. We got an award, not a trophy or anything. It was kind of a, a an award box full of goodies, uh, which was a large selection of hermaphrodite porn. The next morning, we rode home in the shit wheel van. It was a little over a nine-hour ride, and that was one of the worst worst rides back from las vegas i can ever remember oh my god i was so hungover we were all so fucking hungover people were puking like hey can you pull over i gotta puke oh yeah that was rough it was horrible davy drove davy's always a trooper about driving he's like nothing can stop him when he needs to drive and he fucking did it and yeah whatever don't complain when you're on in, in a car riding somewhere and you feel like shit and the driver probably feels just as bad as you and they're doing it, don't complain or whine about that like I'm doing right now. But yeah, that was a miserable fucking ride. So yeah. Well, Paul, welcome to Tilt Wheel. Yeah, that punk rock bowling was a crash course into the land of dumb that was Tilt Wheel at that time. And we got back home. We practiced with Paul maybe once or twice more. Then we played our very first show with Paul on February 12th, 2003 at a place called The Cow Shed in San Marcos, California. Now, this was the very first 212 show. That's a number of some significance. If you remember the last Tilt Wheel History episode, that number 212 was kind of Jared's number. So February 12th, we did a special show. That would be a day where all of Jared's friends would get together, all of us, kind of our crew, would get together and celebrate life, just have a great time and remember Jared, you know? The 212 shows did go on for a few years, but they kind of slowly faded away, sadly enough. I mean, you know, life moves on, I guess, in some ways, and I hate saying that, but that kind of is the case. It just kind of faded away. But those 212 shows were super-duper fun because it was great to hang out with all our friends, just be together, remember our buddy Jared, and there you go. On that very first 212 show, we did have a lot of fun. Paul played fucking great. Not too, too much happened between that 212 show and the summer of 2003, though. Not that I can remember. I moved out of my shitty little one-bedroom apartment in Escondido, and I moved into Davy's house. That was also in Escondido, but it was a huge, huge place with a little pool. 
I had a private entrance to my room. Uh, there were two toilets in the bathroom. It was really nice. You could tandem poop in my bathroom if you wanted to. No problem. Kind of weird. I never tried that out, to be honest with you. We did play a couple shows around San Diego in the spring of 2003, but we weren't doing too much at that time. Davey was busy tour managing bands, and he was driving all over the country with these bands. He'd be gone for a couple weeks up to a month in those days. But in July of 2003, we got pretty busy for a few weeks. On July 4th of 2003, Tilt Wheel played at a party at our friend Will Castro's house. And Will, that's Will, who is currently in Western Settings. And that was a really, really fun party. That kind of kicked off this tour that we were going on, a two-and-a-half-week-long tour with the bands Grabash Charleston's and Billy Reese Peters. They were both from Gainesville, Florida. Also, Tampa, Florida's Tim Version did the first couple of shows with us on that tour, but they kind of bailed right when that tour started to go off and go on tour in Japan. So yeah, good for them, Tim Version. Yeah, that was the first time I met Tim Version too, which was really cool. Tilt Wheels, part of that tour with Grab Ass, Tim Version, and Billy Reese Peters started off with a show at Scolari's office in San Diego, and this is where we went on that tour. Like I said, we started in San Diego, then we played up in L.A. in Downey, California, at a place called the Anarchy Library. We then played in Huntington Beach, Aptos, California, San Francisco area. We played at Gilman and Mission Records in the Mission District in San Francisco. Then Eureka, California, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington. We had a day off. Redding, California, Chico, California, Fresno, California, and then finally back in San Diego, California, on July 20th. Two more shows were on that tour that Tilt Wheel played. One was in San Bernardino on July 21st, and then July 22nd, the very end of Tilt Wheel's part of that tour, was in Las Vegas, Nevada. There are some highlights for this tour that are too good to pass up mentioning. The first one, the Anarchy Library. That was not, for the record, that was not an actual library. Yeah, not a library, more's the pity. I was kind of bummed, actually. I kind of thought, well, at the very least, this is going to be like a bookstore, maybe, like a punk bookstore. So I don't know. No, it was just a fucking punk rock bar in some strip mall in Downey, right? Okay, whatever. After the anarchy, not a library, we stayed at Todd Taylor's house, Todd Taylor of Razor Cake in East L.A., and on the second morning of that tour, I woke up and had a really bad case of pink eye. Ooh, yeah. Good way to start off on a good long two-and-a-half-week tour. Oh, fucking pink eye. Pink eye sucks. Have you ever had pink eye? That's no fun. I don't even know how I got it. But there were four bands full of people staying at Todd's little two-bedroom apartment. Maybe that's how I got pink eye, being in close quarters with all these unwashed bodies, sweaty, stinky men. You know, oh boy. Well, let's get a cast of characters for who was on this tour real quick. There was Mike Collins, Aaron Lay, P.J. Fancher and Will Thomas and Billy Reese Peters. Grabass, Charleston's, and Billy Reese Peters did share members, as Grabass at the time was Will, P.J., and also Replay Dave. So that's five dudes between two bands. That's not too many, but you also had Tim Version, which were four people, Scott, Sean, Russ, and Mike. And also, they had kind of these hangers-on, these friends of the bands kind of people. I cannot remember 
these people's names for God's I had no fucking idea. I cannot remember their names if my life depended on it. One was a guy who was falling along in one of those weird old Toyota truck like mini camper things. And the other was a lady that was driving around following him. And I think she was from like South Carolina or something, this beat up old van. And those that was just the first wave of people that kind of came along for the ride on this tour. So that's a total, if you include Tiltwheel, that's a total of 14 people that were needing a place to stay at Todd's little two-bedroom apartment. Well, not everybody stayed in the apartment. People got split up between the little Toyota camper, the old van, our van, and Tim Version left for LAX at like 5 or 6 a.m. that morning, and we didn't get to Todd's place until like 3 a.m. So yeah, it was fucking crowded as shit. And like I said, no wonder I got pink eye. On the very first day of that tour, the very first out-of-town night of that tour, holy shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of people in a lot of really tight quarters. This tour, for me, was kind of like the fighting for the couch tour because there were so many of us. Normally, you know, you'd be sleeping on like a wood hardwood floor or something like that, and it was July. It was the middle of summer. It was fucking hot, you know, so it's not like you were cuddled up in a sleeping bag and all that shit. No, you were just like laying on a goddamn floor. So you'd be really, really lucky to find like a couch or some kind of soft surface to sleep on most nights. And we were pretty diplomatic about it. We we pretty much rotated. I think I got two nights, two or maybe three nights on a couch, and that was it. So it was fine. I mean, that's kind of part of the deal. I also slept in the van a few nights. That was sometimes that could be the most comfortable place to sleep for the night. What are you going to do when you're on tour? I'll tell you a little secret. One of the best things you could do if you're a younger person, one of the best things you could do, get really fucking drunk before you go to sleep and you'll be fine. You'll wake up. Maybe you'll be a little hungover if you're young. It's not too big of a deal. If you're like me now, 50 and you do that, oh, you'll be fucked. You know, wake up. Oh God, I can't move and not be able to do shit, but they'll really get as drunk as you can and you could sleep on fucking broken glass if you had to and you wouldn't even notice uh, which i did do at the alamo house in minneapolis in 2005 that's another story for another time though the next night of this tour we played in huntington beach california it was pretty fun but eh, whatever not you know nothing super remarkable about it then we drove up north for a show in aptos california which is near santa cruz that was the fourth show of that tour. What was remarkable about that show? Well, not much. Whatever. It was a, at a bar. It was like a pretty fun show. But the next day, we were getting ready to head towards San Francisco, and we were in Santa Cruz. We slept, stayed at this house in Santa Cruz. We all decided, well, let's get burritos for breakfast kind of thing. We saw a Latino guy at a gas station and said, hey, where, hey where's the best place to get a burrito around here? He goes, oh, yeah, you know, go over to this place. Go to this place over here. We drove over there to the place that was recommended to us. And there was a fucking line of people out the door. It was getting close to lunchtime. It was like around 11 a.m. or something like that. It's like a super long line, right? Well, oh, that's a good sign. Except they were all white at this Mexican restaurant. They were all white. And I'm telling you right now, that's a bad fucking sign. No, no, no. That really, really, that's like a really bad sign when it's all white folks waiting to get into a Mexican restaurant, that means the food is probably not very good, okay? Paul and I went in. What's your safest bet when you go to a, an unknown Mexican restaurant, typically, or burrito shop, taco shop, whatever, order bean and cheese burrito. It's good. They're usually fine, good, very safe bet. 
really a hard thing to fuck up, right? Oh, no, no, this place did. Oh, man, they fucked this. Jesus Christ. Whole pinto beans. I don't even know if there was cheese on these burritos at all. Maybe like a millimeter of cheese. Fuck, lettuce and tomatoes? And the salsa at this place was, fuck, it was, dude, it was garbage. It was like paste picante sauce. Dude, ugh. The burritos were wrapped in foil, soggy-ass tortilla. This was the worst, one of the worst burritos I've ever had in my entire life. Both Paul and I took like a few bites. Fucking, what the fuck, spit it out. Ugh, threw them away. Like both of us at the same time go, ah, yeah, I can't eat this, man. No, this is fucking gross. I am convinced to this day that Mr. Bad Advice Burrito Guy sent us to that fucking place just to fuck with us. Oh, yeah. Look at all these assholes in this van. They want burritos? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to send them to the fucking most god-awful place I can think of. Oh, go here. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm still mad about that burrito. I really am still angry about that burrito. How do you fuck a bean and cheese burrito up that bad? Like, really, it's really simple. It's a tortilla. Refried beans, even whole pinto beans is fine. Put a decent amount of cheese on it. Voila, easiest shit ever. Oh, no, no, they fucked it up. That bit lettuce. Lettuce on a bean and cheese burrito? Dude, I'm white. And you know what? I'm not that fucking white. I'm not that white that I would eat lettuce on a goddamn bean and cheese burrito. No, that's disgusting. Um, Yeah, next up on our itinerary of fun, we headed up to San Francisco and the Bay Area. The very first show was at Gilman Street in Berkeley. Then we had a show at Mission Records in San Francisco's Mission District. By the way, back in 2003, the Mission District really hadn't been gentrified too, too much. And it was still pretty kind of sketchy. Yeah, it was kind of a sketchy area. There were a bunch of dudes like slinging fucking dope on the streets, like six to eight guys all like doing their thing, bouncing around all these street corners. And they started hanging around our van right in front of the place where we were playing. You know, they watched us unload the van. So we did shifts of like two or three guys kind of watching the van, standing right next to it in between like all the bands playing. Oh, man, yeah, nothing happened, but that was the mission. It was a little sketchy back then for sure. The Mission Records show was in the afternoon. That gave us the night off. And we did have some plans that night. A band most of us loved called Placebo, was playing in San Francisco that night, and a bunch of friends from the Escondido and San Diego area had come up to go to that show. Have you ever heard Placebo? Dude, Placebo's fucking red. Check them out, especially the Sleeping with the Ghosts record. So incredible. One of my favorite all-time bands, Placebo, especially during the Sleeping with Ghosts era. Oh, man, that show was great. We hung out with a bunch of friends that came up, and oh, it was a really, really great night. Now, in San Francisco as well, we picked up two people in our caravan of fools. We picked up our good friends, Gabe Rock, who was from Escondido but lived in San Francisco at the time, and then our old friend, Nicole Pyle, who lived in San Diego. She came up just to ride with us on the tour for a little bit, and we ended up dropping them off in Seattle, and that's where they flew home from. But after that Bay Area show, we played in Eureka, Eureka, California, and it, Eureka's like... Yeah, it's kind of a weird place. There were maybe five or ten people at this old hotel we played at. Like, yeah, it was kind of a rad place, but there was nobody there. Then we stayed at a house out in the middle of nowhere, but that was my first couch night. Yes, I got the couch that night. I was so excited, so happy. Oh, boy. From there, from Eureka, 
we drove up the coast and it was such a rad drive up like the one from Eureka till we kind of diverted to the five and headed towards Portland, Oregon. And oh, what a city. Portland, the city of roses. Yes, I do love Portland. We played at a little pizza place kind of early in the afternoon. And then we went out and got fucked up that night. All of us did. All fucking however many people, that 15 of us or whatever the fuck it was. Oh my God, we went to a karaoke bar. And oh, we got fucking fucked up. All I remember is, we were partying, slamming like tall boys a PBR, just all of us dancing around, being fools, having a great fucking time. There's a bunch of photos out there from that night. I hope I can find them to post them on my webpage and put them on social media, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't remember much other than I woke up in the van. Woke up in the van the next morning. Everyone else apparently had gone up to this apartment of some people we had met at the karaoke bar that I don't fucking remember whatsoever and hung out and partied and like, so I got up out of the van and, and I go, Oh, I think they're in an apartment over here. I got a fucking pee so bad. So I just peed on the wall, of this random apartment building. And that wasn't the right apartment building. And yeah, I don't know. I did. Well, wouldn't that have been great if I'd gotten caught peeing in public? Yeah. That was a totally different apartment building that I peed on. The rest of the Motley crew started piling out of the apartment building that morning, and they started telling me all the kind of bad stuff that happened in that apartment that night, and I'm so glad I slept in the van that night. I guess our friend Gabrock had was peeing all over one of the walls inside of that apartment. Uh, one of our friends, you know, part of our group, like, graffitied some shit on the, another wall, Nicole and Gabe like almost got into a fist fight or something. I don't know. It was like total chaos. Oh yeah. I am so glad I slept in that van. So bright and early having pissed off the hosts of this crazy apartment party, we headed off to Seattle where once we got into town, we were walking around, we were playing near in downtown Seattle. Some homeless tweaker dude came up to us and said, Hey, do you guys have any money? And we said, dude, we're on tour. We're fucking struggling to make it as it is. And he goes, well, I hope all you guys fucking die in your piece of shit van. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, good thing to say to like 10 fucking dudes twice your size walking down the street. We did not harm this man. However, that was not uh, would not have been a good thing to do. We played at another pizza place in Seattle. That was pretty fun. After that show, we all crammed into a studio apartment this time. Yeah, we, we've moved down from the two-bedroom apartment. You know, that was like a palace compared to the studio that we stayed in, in Seattle, which was fine. I actually got the couch in that place, too. The owners, or, well, the dwellers of that studio apartment, which was one of the people that was in the band Drunken Boat, I found out, like, years later, and a really, really nice dude, him and his girlfriend. They were super, super awesome people. I got couch. They slept in a closet that they put like a futon mattress down on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's cool. We all fit in there, most of us. I don't know how we did, like 10 people in a studio. Yeah, it was crazy. For breakfast the next morning, we went to a Vietnamese restaurant, and I had my first banh mi. Oh, and I still remember that sandwich. That was like the best fucking sandwich I've ever had in my life. Yeah, it was really, really great. From Seattle, we headed back south. We had stops in Redding, California, Chico, and Fresno. You know, um, the, the hottest fucking places in California in July. 
those shows were all pretty fun. We played in a like a public park in Reading where all these like gutter punk kids were jumping off this really, really high, really tall railroad bridge into this river. Like we're, we're going, oh my God, that kid's going to die. Oh no, he's alive. Okay, cool. Great, great. He made it. After the show in Fresno, we drove all night towards home. Our replay drove our van while myself and I believe Aaron Lay that night on that drive home got completely fucked up the almost the entire way home. I was drinking 40s of Country Club malt liquor. Have you ever had Country Club malt liquor? Oh, that shit will fuck you up. Ouch. Oh, yeah, ouch. So for the next two days, I pretty much kind of didn't stop drinking, and I was, oh, I was a mess. We played in San Diego. That was the last show I did of the tour. I was actually supposed to play in San Bernardino, and I just didn't make it. No, that's when the hangover kicked in, and I slept literally for like a full day and a half. I was too hungover. So Paul, being the drummer that he was, the great fucking drummer that he was and is, filled in on drums for me. Kind of a shadow of things to come a little bit. You'll see, you know, as these episodes move on. That tour was a fucking great time. That really was. What made that tour great was the people that were on that tour with us. That was really, really fun. I'll never forget it. As far as the cast of characters go, Mike and Aaron of Billy Reese Peters were kind of like the class clowns a little bit. They're both phenomenal guys. Will of both bands He's just kind of a normal, like, regular great dude. Really, like, an awesome guy. Truly, truly an awesome guy. And Replay and PJ were the quiet ones. And PJ was a really quiet one. PJ, they're both, again, super, super nice guys. Like, the best guys. But Peach, man, that's what we call them, too, by the way. Uh, Peach. Aaron Lee had this thing where he would say, Hey, Peach. He, yeah, dude, I can't even duplicate it. But, yeah, Peach was a fucking great dude. I swear, I only saw him drink like six beers that entire trip. He maybe got drunk like one night. He was the most stoic, responsible, and great dude. Super, super awesome dude, by the way. And another thing, a little trivia about PJ. PJ was Tom Petty's nephew. Yes, that's right. The Tom Petty, who was also from Gainesville, Florida. RIP to Tom Petty, by the way. I have to say that. Really interesting, though. Yeah. He told us that like halfway through the tour, and we're like, no, 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 you're kidding, right? He's like, no, he's my uncle, for real. Oh, no shit. Oh, interesting. Cool. Do you hang out with him? And he was like, yeah, I see him sometimes, like holidays and stuff like that. Great. Well, pretty cool. And PJ did. I did want to say this. PJ wrote a very, very moving tribute that he posted on Facebook and stuff after Tom Petty passed away a few years ago. Well, now, before we move on to part two of this episode, the last half of 2003, we're going to have a few words from our dear friends at Red Brontosaurus Records. So why don't you stay tuned for that? If you are like me, you are a lover of fine music and fine movies. You want to know where to find and buy the finest music and movies? I'll tell you, because here at the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast, we have all the answers. Red Brontosaurus Records, located in San Diego, California, is the place to be for the sounds that will soothe your soul and the movies that will get you in that DVD and chill kind of mood. And right now at Red Brontosaurus Records, you can buy one used DVD or Blu-ray 
and get one used DVD or Blu-ray of equal or lesser value for free. That's a deal of the century. Just tell them that Bob of the I Want to Party with Bob Media Empire sent you. So go to Red Brontosaurus Records at 3044 North Parkway in San Diego, California. That is the North Park neighborhood of San Diego, California. You can call them at 619-795-1282 or visit them on the web at www.redbrontosaurusrecords.com and satisfy that burning music and or movie need today. Thank you to Red Brontosaurus for the deal, the buy one, get one DVD or Blu-ray deal. Excellent. Yeah, great. Home from our triumphant tour of the West Coast of the United States, I promptly and suddenly decided to quit my job of the last 11 years. Uh, Pretty much out of the blue. I was really, really unhappy at that place, at that fucking shithole. Good riddance to that job. That was terrible. So I decided once we got home, I was going to jump in the van with Davey and go along with him on a tour to Texas and back. Davey was tour managing the band The Skeptics from the UK at that time. Ah, That was a really fun trip. That was great. We went through Arizona, Texas, New Mexico in August of 2003. Oh my God, it was hotter than shit, but who cares? The AC in the van didn't work either. Yeah, ooh, yeah. But I did get to experience riding along on a tour I wasn't doing any kind of work on at all. I mean, I'd kind of help them load in and out, but that was it. I was just hanging out, like drinking, having a really good time. And the skeptics were all fucking super, super cool people. They were great, especially the guitar player, Fish. He was so rad. He was an awesome dude. He was in discharge. Fish of the skeptics was in discharge. Yeah, he was a great guy. We talk every once in a while on Facebook. I do love that dude. When Davey and I got back from that tour, I got another job and I quit it after a couple weeks because we were going to go to Fest in Gainesville and that job would not give me the time off to go. We're going to talk about Baby's First Fest, Fest number two to be exact. Next, I got another job that they said, okay, when I got hired, you can tour as much as you want. We're just not going to pay you when you go on tour. And I said, okay, fine, great, great. So off to fest we go. That was in October of 2003. We flew into Tampa. We hung out at Dave of ADD Records, Dave Disorder's house. We drank, and uh, the first day we drank, sat around, drank, and talked about the Bible. All day of all things. Um, yep. I think we played in Tampa that night. I don't really remember whatever. I mean, yeah, that's fine. That Friday, October the 17th of 2003, we drove to Gainesville for my and Paul's first fest. We went straight to the venue that Hot Water Music was playing at. They were from Gainesville. And fuck it, that was a great fucking show. Went to a party after that, and we all got fucking just shit-faced. That's, do you notice a pattern? <laughs> we did that a lot. That was a thing. Well, hell, I mean, that pattern had been going on for quite some time in the history of Tilt Wheel. But yeah, we, we, we were carrying on the Tilt Wheel tradition by getting shit-faced our first night at Fest, of course, and the day before, and probably the day before that, yada, yada. We slept at this house that we went to this party at, did more fasting and drinking the next day, kind of the same thing on Sunday, and our show, Tilt Wheel Show at that fest, fest number two, was at 1 a.m. on Sunday. What I'm going to do for this part, I'm going to read part of an article about fest number two 
that was written by Denise Orton for Razor Cake Magazine. And I will link to that article on the Bobcast webpage. But first, let me tell you, fest number two, compared to the fests that are going on nowadays, my God, tiny. Oh, yeah, seriously. Really, really fun. Don't get me wrong. But my God, like there was not even like a tenth of the things going on, of the shows, of just everything. It's crazy now. It's so big. Fest number two was not big at all. Not nearly as much stuff going on, but still very, very fun. Here's a sample, just to give you an idea, a very small sample of some of the bands that played Fest number two. Hot Water Music, like I said earlier, Lawrence Arms, Against Me, and a few more, but that's just a small example for you. The show that Tilt Wheel played at Fest 2 was great. It was Stress Face, Dukes of Hillsborough, Tim Version, Billy Reese Peters, Grabash Charlestons, and Tilt Wheel. Now, here's that article I was just mentioning. I'm just going to read it straight to you. I walked around the corner to the sidebar where Stress Face was setting up to play their second set of the Fest. It was only 8.30 p.m. Everyone was tanked. The next few hours flew by. The bar became an orgy of drunken mayhem. I was probably the soberest person in the room, but it didn't matter. The Dukes of Hillsboro, the Tim Version, the Grabash Charlesons, and Billy Reese Peters all played impeccably in their exquisite state of unparalleled inebriation, but it all came to a head when Tilt Wheel took the stage. That was the moment when every single person became focused and unified in our various states of sobriety. People threw their arms around each other, raised their drinks in the air, and then rocked the fuck out. By the end of their set, half of the guys in the room were shirtless, everyone was sweaty, and most of us were a little hoarse from screaming along at the top of our lungs. It was the most amazing feeling to be in a room in this little corner of the earth with so many other people who appreciate a band that is seemingly the best-kept secret in punk rock. It was the moment that we all long for every time we venture to a punk rock show. There were a few other shows around town still going on, but for me it wasn't going to get any better than seeing Shit Wheel play in a room full of 50 of our drunkest and dearest. My festing was over, I'd reached the peak, and it was going to be all downhill from there. The Fest 3 will have a lot to live up to. Wow, what a... That's incredible. I cannot believe like that. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible. <laughs> I'm like blown away by that. Still, I mean, that's what? How many years? 17 years later and I'm reading this going like, holy crap. Yeah, that's that's a fucking fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, Denise. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Now, Davey had played the first fest in 2002 with the Texas version of Tilt Wheel, but that was the first fest for Paul and I, as I said, that was fun, really, really drunken fun, but a ton of fun nonetheless. Now, next on this episode's agenda are two more things before we get to the very end. First was this little something that Tilt Wheel played at called Bear Paw Fest, which took place in our friend Bear Paw's house in a suburb of San Diego called Mira Mesa. It was a two or three day house party. Okay, with a ton of bands. Tilt Wheel, Watch It Burn, Scarlet Symphony, Shark Pants, The Classified, and a little band called Kolob. Remember I, I kind of mentioned Kolob back at the beginning of this one? They were a uh, they were a jug band. You know what a jug band is? Well, essentially, it's a bunch of hillbillies blowing into jugs, singing, strumming washboards, and plucking at washtub bass things. Yeah, a washtub bass. Well, that was Kolob, except... They were punk. They were a punk rock jug band. Yeah, punk rock jug band. 
Kola, by the way, is also a planet that's very important to uh, Mormonism mythology, more or less. In this case, though, Kolob is a bunch of redneck kids from East San Diego County that we played a bunch of shows with. They were rad. They We'd play and, hey, Kolob, come down and play. Okay, we'll play. Yeah, it was fantastic. They were the most fun band in the world. Were they the most fun? Yeah, I think they were. They probably were. Kolob was Jeff, Travis, Russell, and Snaky Dave. Jeff usually went by the name Jeff Kolob, and Travis of Kolob went by the name Juggy. Juggy, yes, Juggy. They were tight, man. I keep begging those guys, do a reunion, but no, no, no. They're too good for that kind of thing now, apparently. So Bear Paw Fest was, it was fun. It was crazy. It was like a days-long house party that never got busted by the cops. It came back in 2004 for the second Bear Paw Fest, second and final, I believe. That's weird that it didn't get busted, really. Like, seriously, it was a three-day-long party on this quiet suburban street in Mira Mesa, like, I'm still kind of scratching my head. How did that not get busted? I mean, shit got crazy a few times. We were throwing shit over the fences at the neighbor's houses. Some of the neighbors came over and started fights with some of our friends, like all kinds of crazy shit. Moving on to the very last kind of eventful tilt wheel thing in 2003 was a tour we did with a band called Watch It Burn. If you'll remember from the Watch It Burn split that we did, that Twice the Dose split, and that the the kind of the pinnacle of that tour was a New Year's Eve show in Portland, Oregon. The tour went like this. The first show was in Chico, California, then Portland, then we played in San Francisco, Stockton, LA, then home. Now, notable about that tour and that trip was the weather. It was fucking freezing cold. It started on like the 27th or 28th of December. And we ended up getting home like the 3rd or 4th of January or something like that. We were moving just ahead. I mean, just like hours ahead of this gnarly blizzard that was hitting the Pacific Northwest. That storm, it was so bad, they shut the 5 freeway down in Grants Pass, Oregon, which almost never happens. It was yeah, like the storm of the century kind of thing. It was fucking crazy. The first show, Chico, that was pretty fun. Not really extraordinary. Same thing with the Portland show. It was a really fun New Year's Eve show. We played with a band, Longshot, from Portland that we were friends with. It was a good time. It was great. After that show was when things got a little bit interesting. We went and stayed at our friend Mike Fry's house in Portland just to sleep and kind of hang out the next day because we had like kind of a day off between that show in Portland on New Year's Eve. We had New Year's Day off, basically, is what I'm trying to say. We stayed at Mike Fry's house. There was a friend of ours of Tilt Wheels in Portland at that time, a lady everyone referred to by the name Slurp. Yeah, okay. Slurp went, somehow met us at the show and ended up at Mike's house with us. And she proceeded to talk enough shit to our host that he fucking kicked all of us out of his house and you guys get the fuck out of here at like three or four in the morning. We're like, oh, okay. So we all went in the van. The next morning, we woke up. Paul, our friend Gabe Rock, also went along on this trip with us. Paul, myself, and Gabe Rock all went to this liquor store down the street from Mike's house. And I think we had made up with Mike at that time, and we were allowed in the house, you know, kind of thing. We went and got beer and got fucking shit-faced all day long on New Year's Day. Had a great time. We were making snow angels in our clothes, getting soaking fucking wet and being drunk and otherwise really stupid. On our way down to San Francisco, we did hit black ice on the road and almost died. 
Uh, yeah, but we did make it to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, we played at the Parkside. I learned it's really not a good idea to play the drums wearing a full set of long underwear, you know, shirt and undergarments included. Uh, they do, they kind of restrict your freedom of movement, which you do need when you're playing drums. Yeah, that was rough. The next night, we played in Stockton, California, and then L.A. before we headed home. And that was a that was a really weird but fun little trip. That last show in L.A. was fucking great. We played with the Smut Peddlers, and they're oh God. That band is super super great. That's the end of 2003 and the end of Paul Trash 77's freshman year in Tilt Wheel. You did good, Paul. You really did, Paul. You know he really helped me through a rough time. Just by being there, being in the band, keeping things going, by being a great friend, I will never, never, ever forget you for that, Paul, ever. I love you, dude. I really do. I love you, man. Next up in the Tilt Wheel series, we're going to cover the years 2004 to 2005, and unfortunately, my last years in the band Tilt Wheel from 2005 until 2010, I was out of the band. So yeah, the next one gets a little bit dark for me. But in those years, you know, 2004, 2005, we did do some good stuff. We had some good times. Look for part eight in this Tilt Wheel history series very soon. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm going to leave you with another song that we played a lot in those days of 2003. The song Boat in Boiling Water. Which also on this version, though, Paul's not playing bass on this recording. This recording is Jared on the bass that we did when we recorded for the Twice the Dose split with Watch It Burn. So the song is very fitting, though, for this timeline as we played that song all the time back then. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Here is Boat in Boiling Water. <laughs>